It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Super, super excited to have you back on the show. And first of all, thank you so much for your support. It means so much. Uh, you know, we just recently uh, have been accepted on uh, Amazon Music, and that is in, and that is in great part to your support. So Amazon Music will be carrying the podcast. I'm super excited about that. Uh, anyway, today on the show, Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson. Um, is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits as well as social security disability benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured on Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC. He's most recently appeared on the guest as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and social security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disabilities. He has been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge's Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by, Nas- by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award uh, for his contribution as a joint author to the Amazon bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation Also, in 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted in America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. You can find out more when you visit VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. It's always so nice to be here with you. Well, you know what? I, uh, I appreciate you coming by. I know you're pretty busy, and I appreciate the work that you guys do there at VeteransBenefits.com. It's, uh, you know, you're making, you're making uh, lives better. You're, you're, in some cases, what you guys do there is life-changing. You we're talking veterans and families who have been suffering for years, and all of a sudden they're able to get those compensations, those disability benefits that they deserve, and that has to be very, very rewarding. It really is, Bert. You know, I, I spoke with a, uh, a veteran this morning, and we've, we've been working on his case for years, and we finally uh, got him paid $100,000, and he was just uh, very, very uh, excited, pleased. Uh, you pick your, pick your word, but he was, he was very happy. Sure, sure. And you know what? And, and, and a lot of people just simply do not understand that here are these veterans, these brave men and women who put everything on the line for our country and in and, and a substantially large portion, this is my opinion, a substantially large portion of these veterans come back and now they have to fight another battle to get their benefits. And as you just alluded, this took years for this gentleman and his family to, uh, or this veteran, I'm sorry, and in, in their family to, to get these benefits. And it's just not what they deserve. So, uh, I'm, I, again, I'm grateful for that work that you guys do. Uh, and and uh, speaking of, of uh, benefits, I want to jump into this and ask you, uh, give me your thoughts on how is the VA doing with outpatient health care? Well, Bert, as you may recall, 
the Congress changed the law a couple of years ago, um, the, the 2018 uh, Mission Act, to, uh, to give veterans more choices about health care outside the VA at VA expense. And so there's been, you know, uh, there have been hiccups, to put it mildly. Um, the, uh, uh, the news reported recently that uh, in San Diego, for example, uh, the VA folks there were uh, actively trying to talk veterans out of using outside care and, and into using VA care. Um, and, you know, it comes down to uh, one of the things that we've, we've talked about before. The, the Congress enacts all these promises to veterans, but they're not always very good about following through with the money to pay for them. And that's what the VA is experiencing here. They've, they've, they've been given a certain block of money that has to fund both their in-house health care and these outside uh, health care choices, and they're having a tough time making it, uh, making it all stretch. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, it's, it's been sort of interesting, though, that the, uh, the senators who've been fussing about it most are some Republican senators who voted against the act to begin with, uh, which is probably <laughs> ironic. What a shock. But, uh, yeah. But the, the bottom line is that um, Secretary McDonough, uh, once people pointed this out to him, has, has uh, you know, gotten on top of it and I think has, has um, at least uh, made it, uh, if nothing else, less uh, extensive. Um, and you know, they, I mean, the, the, the VA has its problems, but I don't think anybody would say that the VA isn't trying hard to deliver high-quality health care. You know, they, Lord knows, they've they've had they've had their difficulties with it, but they're they're trying. And I think um, the current administration is perhaps more sympathetic to that than any that we've had in the last few years. Um, you know. Uh, President Biden, as you as you may know, uh, feels very strongly that uh, his son Bo's service in the Middle East contributed to his dying of brain cancer, and he has really made an effort to uh, to put very politically capable people at the top of the VA and and help them to get things done. So, I think I think that's. I think that's coming along. It's, you know, kind of working its way through. But as you know, um, last year um, the VA paid for th- over 33 million visits to non-VA providers. So it's, it's not like they're, they're not trying to, to implement the Mission Act. And, but it's a, it's a tough problem. It's a huge, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge system. Um, you know, they, they point out that just in the month of uh, September of this year, um, they spent $2 billion on outsourced health care. So it's, you know, it's, they're, they're trying. They're, I, I think it's fair to say that the, the current administration is trying harder than pretty much anybody we've seen. But it's a, it's a huge bureaucracy. You know, they, they, they employ um, 400,000 people at the VA. So... Getting, getting everybody on the same page and moving in the right direction, particularly when the direction changes, is a, is a huge challenge. But uh, 
I, I really do, I, I really am convinced that Secretary McDonough is doing his best to, uh, to make things work the way they're intended. Yeah, people do not realize that uh, this, the, the VA is, is what, the second largest cost and department of the, of the U.S. government? That's right. The only the only uh, department that has more people is the U.S. military, and that's the entire Department of Defense. When you add up Army, Navy, Air Force, etc., so you know it's it's if you come in second to them, you're not doing bad. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this, because this has also been in the news. Um, I uh, I want to talk about uh, the effects of the withdrawal from Afghanistan on our veterans. Any input on that? Well, you know there 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 are lots of different effects, but um, one of the notable ones is the uh, the VA projects that if we if we don't get into another war um, by 2045, which is what 20. 24 years from now, um, the number of uh, veterans in the U.S. will drop from the current almost 21 million to about 12 million. So they expect it to drop roughly half in that time. There are no more wars. But um, one of the things that that I thought was both both sad and important at the same time was that the uh, calls to the suicide hotline went up dramatically as the pullout from Afghanistan was announced. And I, I think, you know, yeah, that's understandable. I know uh, I saw on the news, and I'm sure you did too, um, interviews with, uh, with folks who had served in Afghanistan and um, tried hard to bring better government and safety and better medical care and and they were sad. Um, some were extremely sad to the point of seriously depressed over the fact that this all uh, ended without really any ultimate favorable resolution on any of those issues. And so it's uh, it's a tough thing. I know a lot of people were relieved to have uh, veterans that they're related to or, or know out of harm's way, you know, no longer at, at risk of... Uh, death or injury in the Middle East. Right. Um, and uh, certainly uh, we've spent enormous amounts of money, I mean, uncounted billions, really, um, between the, the official budgets and the, the, the black budgets for, uh, for warfare. Um, and so hopefully releasing that money for domestic programs is going to make a, a big difference in the living conditions of some folks here in the U.S. So it's... Um, it's a huge, uh, a huge event with lots of different ramifications. But one of the things that you get consistently from folks who served in the Middle East is that they they don't want to uh, get treated the same way that the Vietnam vets or the Korean vets got treated. They they want to see faster um, reaction to their health care issues, particularly the uh, the burn pit exposure issues. Uh, they want to see better mental health care. Uh, they want to see better suicide prevention. They want to see uh, a, a 
uh, really uh, in a, an immediate, seamless transition from military health care to VA health care as people leave the service. I mean, there are, there are a lot of issues, um, and there are issues that, in large part, we've talked about at one time or another, but it's, it's just a, it's a tough thing. You know, I mean, the, the VA is so big, and it, it, it has so many missions. I mean, they manage everything from hospitals to, to cemeteries um, and uh, pretty much everything in between, including benefits and, and uh, ancillary benefits and so on. And, you know, I, I, thought there was a, I thought there was a nice quote. Um, somebody in the press interviewed a guy at uh, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and he said, look, you know, it's not that anybody at the VA is malicious and, and nobody's trying to harm vets. It's just it's a huge bureaucracy and it just takes a long time to get things done. And I, I think that's a, a pretty realistic assessment. I mean, it's kind of like turning the Titanic when you want to uh, – we want to make a change in direction at the VA. It's just so big, so many people. Um, and in the last couple of years, with COVID and various other things, they've had enormous turnover. You know, lots of uh, lots of retirements. Uh, sadly, a, a significant number of deaths, um, and just a, a tough time getting new people, training new people. Um, and it's just been a a real real difficult time, um, no matter how you want to look at it. And one of the other things that, that people have been pointing out is that it's, uh, it's difficult to get uh, policy implemented because so much of it comes directly from Congress. And Congress, as you know, is really bitterly partisanly divided at the moment to the point that it makes it hard to get things through. So um, in, uh, in the Vietnam era, it took years and years and years before we got presumptions of uh, various conditions being related to exposure to Agent Orange. And even now, we're still adding new conditions as the, as the medical evidence slowly grows. And with um, Middle East, we've had for some time now a presumption of service connection for what's called Gulf War, in, Gulf War illness, um, right. which is just an odd kind of collection of uh, sort of seemingly random symptoms that nobody can actually put a, an actual um, definitive physiological cause on, but we, we see it, we see it, we see it, so we know it's there. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the, the VA in its own fashion uh, has, has, bureaucratize this. I mean, uh, Gulf War illness is a, the the hallmark of it is this collection of kind of random symptoms. But at the VA, when they when they uh, look at a, at a claim from someone who's saying they have Gulf War illness, makes them split it up into, okay, I have digestive symptoms, I have breathing symptoms, I have body aches. And, and so <laughs> they, they never effectively look at it as uh, an overall Gulf War condition. They kind of reluctantly come to that after they've looked at everything else. And it's just, it, it's just a, a difficult um, system to, to administer with a huge bureaucracy. I, that's probably true of most any system, but it, it's proving to be very difficult in a, 
the VA. And so it's, um, it leaves people feeling like the VA is, is against them or out to get them when, when I don't think that's true, but it's very hard to, to make it effectively veteran friendly, despite all of the, the rhetoric to that, uh, to that effect. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like you need uh, universal basic uh, minimum income for, for all veterans if you want to solve that problem, you know, right. Uh, because right now it's picking and choosing, you know, okay, has this guy shown uh, all the requirements for him to get disability? But this person, well, the requirement number three hasn't been met, you know, and it's, it's just a, it's tough. Um, but I think, in fairness to Congress, they are working on on some of this stuff. Um, they have made exposure to the burn pits and toxic exposure uh, presumptive for for the obvious conditions like asthma. Um, and they're they're trying to uh, to do better, um, but it's uh, it's just tough on people. Um, I don't know if, if the Nathan, if the name Jason Kandar means anything to you, but he's a guy who uh, was an intelligence officer in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, pretty risky job being out among the populace trying to gather uh, information and not knowing if you were going to walk out of the meeting in one piece. But um, we came back, and you know, he's a he's a Democrat from a, a fairly conservative state, Missouri. He got into the legislature there. He was Secretary of State. Uh, he ran for Senate and uh, nearly beat uh, Senator Blunt back in 2016. And um, at the time, he says he was trying to run away from PTSD, and he finally decided that uh, it had outrun him. Um, and he's now dropped out of politics, and he's working with the Veterans Community Project to address health care and poverty and homelessness for uh, for veterans. And it's... Uh, it's just a uh, situation where being in a war marks people. Just it marks people, and there's not really any way, kind of, uh, put Humpty Dumpty's pieces back together. All you can do is help people to uh, adjust to the best uh, best situation they can after the fact, and, and that's both physical and, and mental injuries. Although I, I think it's fair to say we do better with physical injuries. We have really made enormous strides in, in uh, treating uh, amputations and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm sure you've seen on the news um, Paralympians who are uh, are injured veterans and who now are able to do amazing feats. But, you know, the, the impact of, of this war is going to, going to uh, overshadow a couple of generations for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I don't know any veteran and or even active personnel who have been uh, involved in a battle and glamorize it in any way. You know, war is hell. I think that's the most appropriate adage 
it's you know I don't know when that phrase was coined, but I know it's been around for a while, and I think it's it's an accurate thing. It, it you know it, it scars people for life. Sometimes, as you said, sometimes it's just a physical, and that's so easy to treat. But many times it is the mental that is much harder to treat, and and it permeates everything. And so it's terrible that our veterans, and you know, going back all the way to the Civil War, who suffered from PTSD and just were not treated. We didn't understand it. And we just now have started to invest time and money into it. And when I say just now, I guess it's maybe in the last 10 years. Uh, when you think about how old our our military is and how many veterans it's produced over that length of time, and we're talking about people who have just have suffered horrendous, horrendous effects uh, from PTSD. Uh, um, there was a movie that w- that came out a few years ago. I believe it was called Unbreakable or something like that, and it featured or highlighted the story of this gentleman who, during World War II, was was uh, captured by the Japanese. And for whatever reason, him and him and the the person in charge of this uh, camp butted heads, and this uh, Japanese commander did a lot of vicious things um, and this gentleman survived and it's and it's a very inspiring story I mean he he has survived a lot in his life and unfortunately he ends up uh, this is not this is not in, uh, we call it part of the movies but this is part of his story um, you know, after being rescued or after getting out of the uh, uh, of the camp or and, and coming home, I think within three or four years his PTSD was so bad uh, he unfortunately ended up killing his spouse, his wife, um, and he suffered from blackouts and nightmares and and uh, you know the the killing was was ruled accidental because he was in a he was in a nightmare and um he thought he was being attacked by the commander um this Japanese commander person and either way that's an extreme example but you know it happens the, the these veterans come back and it happens to both men and women um uh, and and they suffer such devastating you know, such devastating pains, right? That It's just difficult to deal with. And, and, and like I said, the VA, unfortunately, is way behind the times. It, it took them for, an, in my opinion, it took them an extremely long amount of time to really address or begin addressing uh, the mental side of, of uh of warfare, the mental side of of, of, um, 
you know, the, the mental complexities of mental illness, if you will. It's just, it's, it's just, it's a terrible thing. It is, Bert. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that has happened as a result of that is the suicide rate among both veterans and active duty service folks is up. Um, you know, a, a, a huge number of, uh, of, of veterans uh, are committing suicide. To, you know, they, uh, they're killing themselves at one and a half times the rate that civilians do. And, and uh, post 9-11 veterans, two and a half times the rate of civilians the same age. And that's even though, as you know, um, service members are screened for mental health issues before they join the military. So it's uh, it's a tough situation. And within the military, um, suicides rose 15% in 2020 among active duty personnel. Um, well, and that's a that's a huge jump. I mean, a lot of that I'm sure is. Uh, is related to COVID and isolation and uh, other other similar problems, but um, you know, I, I, I mean, it's not it's not that uh, we have one in ten uh, uh, of the folks in the military killing themselves, but the 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 fact that the rate jumped 15 percent in 2020 is is uh, is pretty uh, is pretty bad. Um, yeah. We're, 580 people on active service who killed themselves, and one of the one of the things that is concerning, and I, I think I think it has to be concerning uh, on a on a public health level beyond just the suicide issue, is is the availability of uh, of guns. I mean, 87 um, percent of the uh, of the people who uh, committed suicide. Um, Use privately owned uh, weapons to uh, to commit suicide. Privately owned firearms, um, even even though they're in the military, you know the military is pretty careful about uh, about their guns. But uh, people have private ones, and unfortunately, you know a, a suicidal impulse that that might uh, might pass before you got around to uh, running a a bath in the tub and cutting your wrists. Uh, uh, may not pass quickly enough if you can lay hands on a loaded gun at the moment. So it's a it's a tough situation. Um, but the uh, the one thing I, I wanted to say about that that I think is is good news is there is some action in Congress on this to uh, to create a uh, new uh, a new law. It's uh, named after a uh, a recently deceased service person who died by suicide in 2018, Brandon Caserta. And this is a guy who went in the Navy wanting to be a SEAL, broke his leg during SEAL training, and so couldn't finish the uh, the SEAL training and ended up as a, an aviation uh, electrician's mate. And uh, he uh, ultimately took his own life, and the, um, the post um, Suicide investigation suggested that part of that problem was uh, a uh, superior officer who was uh, known to be verbally abusive to the people under his command. Um, and uh, Mr. Caserta, unfortunately, uh, 
didn't do well with that and ultimately took his own life. Um, and his, uh, his parents um, uh, from uh, Arizona have been working with Senator Mark Kelly from Arizona and uh, a uh, Marine Corps veteran, uh, Representative Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, to introduce legislation that uh, requires that if a member of the military requests uh, a mental health evaluation, the commander is required, automatically obligated, to see that that evaluation is carried out. and as you know, there's a lot of stigma in the uh, in the population in general, but especially in the military about mental health. You know, there's there's a fear in the in the military that it'll be seen as a sign of weakness, an inability to to perform. Um, so treatment is uh, is regarded as uh, something that should be avoided if at all possible. But if people get to the point of actually asking for treatment. Uh, you know, this uh, this law at least will require their commander to see that uh, that that that's hap- that gets carried out at the earliest possible or the earliest practical point. Obviously, you can't uh, necessarily do that in a combat situation, but you know, in in stateside situations, which incidentally are where most of these uh, suicides happen, uh, you can do that, and, and it's uh, it's it's nice to see that Congress is working on that, and I'm. I'm hopeful that this bill will actually get enacted. Yeah, you know what? I've heard about these individuals, and, and, and it's obviously individuals who have, have who suffer from a low self-esteem, uh, who have somehow been promoted despite their lack of social skills or lack of, I would even say, intelligence, because it, it's, again, it's just one of those people who think that it's, I don't know, they, they get validated for lack of better terms. Again, this is my opinion. They get validated by, by being cruel, by showing how powerful they are, by being abusive. And if they're doing that on their job, whether it's in the military or in a corporate world, they're probably even worse at home, which is terrible for their family and their spouses. Uh, but uh, yeah, th- there's just no need for that. Life is hard enough and when you're putting your life on the line in a in in, by serving in the military the last thing you need is is some jerk trying to make you feel bad about yourself it's just unnecessary And, and i hope that that individual was at the bare minimum demoted but hopefully even prosecuted because there's there's just no need for that kind of abuse I think that's true, Bert. You know, it's just it's unfortunate that people like that get into positions where they have authority. It really is. It really is. And since you mentioned this thing about suicide, I am going to put in the show notes here the National Suicide Lifeline, and uh, it's an 800 number. I'll just I'll I'll just read it off real quick. It's 800-273-8255. So uh, please share that information and share this episode with everyone. Uh, so we can help our our vets and their families. Um, Let me ask you this. Um, You mentioned COVID and the isolation. What what has the effect of COVID been over the last year on our troops? 
Well, Bert, uh, obviously there's no way to know what all the effects are, but the, <clears throat> this uh, increase in suicides I think was probably the, the most dramatic uh, indicator that we've seen. Um, and uh, if I could just uh, plus one on your giving out the uh, the hotline number, let me just add, there's also a text number now, uh, which is 838-255. That's 838-255. That will also take you to the the, uh, crisis line. Um, But the the short version is that um, uh, the the impact um, has, has been seen most dramatically in the suicides, but as we talked about, um, uh, I think uh, last month, in fact, um, the uh, the other um, the other thing that has really uh, been difficult is uh, a lot of military families have have been kind of cut off from their usual supports, and as a result, uh, more than more than usual of them have faced uh, food insecurity and the need for what we used to call food stamps and other government benefits uh, over and above their their minimal government salaries. It's just been a, a tough year by any standard um, for military uh, uh, personnel and, and military families. And uh, I hope that anyone who has the opportunity will reach out over the holidays to uh, be supportive to those in the military and, and to, to veterans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it doesn't have to be anything super fancy, a, a text message, an email, a phone call, a, you know, just leave a voicemail. There, there's so many ways to encourage people and, 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 and let them know that they're appreciated and they're seen and they're heard. And so absolutely, I like your idea. Reach out, say hello, let them know they're loved and appreciated. Uh, let me ask you this, since we're kind of running tight on time, um, is there any other new legislation in Congress coming up? There's, there's one other um, piece of legislation that that doesn't affect huge numbers of people, but it's uh, I, I think it's an important piece of legislation, and and that is uh, it's a uh, uh, it's it's called the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, and this is a this is a very interesting bill. Um, it um, it aims at people in the military and, and veterans, primarily veterans now, um, who uh, were exposed to radiation in uh, radioactive testing. Um, and we're talking all the way back to, uh, to the 50s um, uh, in the Bikini Atoll uh, nuclear tests and so on. But... Um, the other interesting part of this legislation, and, and something I've never seen before, is that it would make folks who uh, were born and lived around uh, some of the uh, nuclear sites in New Mexico and Nevada um, eligible for um, compensation for uh, radiation uh, illness type uh, cancers, for example, um, right. and uh, it would include um, all the residents of Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, 
Mexico, and, uh, New Mexico, and Utah, um, as well as uh, the island of Guam. Um, and this is something that um, uh, is really, um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how best to put it, but it, it's, a, it's a serious attempt to think about the impact of the military's uh, radiation-based activities on the surrounding communities in a way that uh, I, I don't think has really been addressed um, uh, in, a, in a meaningful way before. Uh, so this would, would extend um, the uh, uh, protection for, for those folks, both geographically and, uh, and in time. I mean, there is a uh, there is a Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, but it would expire unless it's uh, renewed in 2022. And so they're talking now about uh, extending it to uh, 2041 and, as I said, including um, all the residents of those states to the extent that they have um, the ability to show they had uh, radiation-induced illnesses, uh, which, as you know, is, is primarily various cancers, although there can be other things. So it's... Uh, it's an interesting, uh, uh, it'll, it will be an interesting political uh, uh, test to watch whether, whether people will, will get on board from both sides of the, of the aisle or whether uh, this will be just a, uh, a flash in the pan that doesn't get bipartisan support. But uh, it's, a, it's a bill I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to try to follow pretty closely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's amazing, and 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 you know, you've alluded this a couple of times in today's show, and that is, it's it's too bad that everything has to be uh, politicized, right? It's it's when did taking care of our vets become one more thing that that the Republicans and the Democrats have to fight over. Uh, just just make life just a tad simpler and support the vets. Uh, it's, I understand that there's an expense, but there's, there's other places that we can cut. You know, there, there, there are companies out there, multi-billion dollar corporations that are still receiving – not only tax subsidy, uh, uh, subsidies, but they're also getting uh, financial subs- uh, subsidies. And let's take the money away from those guys who don't need it and put it into our VA budget. It, it's, it's not really that hard. But unfortunately, they, they, they seem to go out of way to make it as complicated and as difficult as possible. Well, you know, Bert, it's a... It's a it's a mindset issue. I mean, you know, the 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 U.S. has always been built on this notion that we're all striving individually, and it's every man, woman, and child for himself, and so on. And and we don't seem to have developed the kind of appreciation for um, supporting the the community as a whole that. A lot of the European nations uh, have, have built up over the years. And, it, you know, I, I hear these ads talking about how um, extending uh, uh, 
government benefits to parental leave is socialization is uh, sorry is uh, is socialism and it's it's just it it doesn't seem to me that taking care of of other people in our community um, should get pejorative labels but that seems to be where we're going yeah yeah uh, Francis, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by. And for our listeners, please check out VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. You get tons of information there. And please share this episode with everyone you know. Francis Jackson, again, thank you so much for the work that you do and for stopping by today. Always a pleasure to be with you, Bert. Thanks. Good stuff there from lawyer Francis Jackson, one of America's most trusted lawyers in this particular area of disability benefits. Uh, again, veteransbenefits.com. If you know of a veteran, please share this episode. There's no need for them to s- suffer in silence. Even if they have been denied a claim, they can still get help. Uh, they can go to veteransbenefits.com. They can talk to uh, Francis Jackson or or one of his staff members for free, and and they can get a second opinion. It costs them nothing. Remember, my friends, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch, and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.